You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Well, good morning, guys. How are we? Right. Welcome. I'm uh, Brandon, if I haven't met you yet. One of the pastors here. So glad to have you with us. Uh, for our teaching series these past few weeks, we've been exploring this concept in the New Testament about what it means to be in Christ and all of the spiritual blessings that happen for us when we follow after Jesus. And last week, we talked about how through faith, we are declared righteous before God, apart from anything we could ever do, that we don't work to earn our place before God, because through Jesus, he has done all of the work for us. If you are in Christ, God loves you and sees you exactly the same on your very best day and your very worst day. Because when he sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ himself. And today is a continuation of that same concept, hopefully with even more good news to share. So let's say you came last week and you heard the sermon about how we are in Christ wear these robes of righteousness. We are covered by, gifted, imputed, shielded by his righteousness by grace through faith. Loved as much on your worst day as on your best. And you thought, wow, that is pretty important and meaningful for how I approach God. Like, whoever preached that sermon, they just did an incredible job, right? Like, I don't remember who it was, but maybe you do. I don't know. And maybe since then, you've had a fine week, nothing notable, or maybe you've had a great week, or, or maybe it's been a really discouraging week. I don't know where you are right now, but what we're covering today applies to all of us, because no matter how you're doing right now, there will be times when all of us feel this gap between where we are spiritually and where we want to be spiritually, where we want to be in our struggle with sin and where we are in our struggle with sin. A gap between our declared righteousness, which is spotless in Christ, and the demonstration of that righteousness that's getting worked out through our lives. At times in our lives, our most belligerent and frustrating sin struggles rear their ugly heads. And even with the wonderful news we shared last week about how you're still covered with the righteousness of Christ on your very worst day, when these seasons happen, the gap that we feel can be really really frustrating, really defeating, overwhelming even. You were left wondering if you'll ever see more freedom in the sin struggles that you hate about yourself. If you'll see meaningful growth to stop acting in that way or giving into that addiction or responding in destructive ways. And this can leave you wondering, when am I ever going to get past this? Will there ever be a day where I don't succumb to this struggle? We try all the time to help resource us as a church family on the topic of pursuing Jesus, doing the practices that help us walk in step with God's spirit and see freedom, participating in community and so many other things. And all of those things are profoundly vital and a lack of them may be a reason for the lack of growth you see in your life. We teach about that all of the time. But sometimes you are doing the appropriate practices. You're walking in the light. You're keeping in step with God's spirit. And that gap still remains and you just don't know what to do with it. If you've ever been there, if you're there today, I have wonderful news for you. 
God does not stop at declaring you righteous through the gift of Christ's perfect record. That would be enough. But he goes far beyond that. He also is committed to seeing the righteousness of Christ slowly but surely make its way into your life such that you do move past those frustrating things. He is more committed to your righteousness than you are. And that is wonderful news. Open up your Bibles to Romans 7. We're gonna look at how Paul himself felt the same gap we feel and how he worked through it himself. So again, we're gonna start where Andrew started in verse 18 of Romans 7. This is Paul speaking, and he says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So he's saying, even though I'm a Christian and I'm in Christ now, I still have this lingering sin within me that pulls me in the direction of self-centeredness and self-indulgence. This is what the Bible calls our flesh nature, the things we just instinctively are drawn to, to indulge our baser desires. He says he has the desire to do what is right, to not sin anymore, because he's been given a new heart and a new nature, but he keeps on doing the evil he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the good his new nature wants to do. This is the gap I'm sure we all feel in our lives. I don't want to lose my temper at the drop of a hat, but I keep doing it. I don't want to look at porn again, but I keep doing it. I don't want to be dominated by anxiety anymore, but I keep living that way. I don't want to act as if life revolves around me, but I keep doing that very thing. I hate how much I obsess about the way I look. I can't stop thinking about how I come across to other people. My negative self-talk never seems to go away. I really want to be content with what I have, but I can't stop thinking about what I don't have. I seriously want to enjoy my kids because I know time with them is limited, but I find myself frustrated and bothered by them more than enjoying them. And I hate all of these things. I have this new nature that doesn't want those things, that wants to be a person of love and gentleness and patience and self-control, but I keep not being that person. I keep being the old person. He keeps going in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In other words, prior to becoming a Christian, sin ruled and reigned within me. I was completely powerless to it, but now that I have the power of the Spirit within me, my soul is a spiritual battleground between two powers, the power of sin versus the power of the Spirit. And Paul, who has seen his fair share of miraculous things, says, hey, some days it feels like the power of sin is winning. Paul, who planted churches, who performed miracles, and even saw the resurrected Jesus, says, hey, I'm in the same boat as you all. These gaps in my soul often feel like a war zone. He goes on in verse 24 to say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. 
I see this sin more and more in my life. I need help. Who will rescue me? Who has the power to do such a thing? And keep reading with me. In Greek, this is all the same sentence. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul, as he examines his life, he sees the gaps and the battles and the ever-constant struggles, and he says, I need rescue from this body of death. Who's going to do that because I can't rescue myself? And his answer within the same breath is Jesus. Jesus alone can save me. He alone helps me persevere. Just as Jesus alone rescued me from the penalty of sin, so it's Jesus alone who's going to rescue me from the power of sin. Just as Christ alone gifted me his righteousness, so it's Christ alone who can help me experience his righteousness, even when I'm in the trenches of everyday life. Jesus is more committed to your spiritual growth than you will ever be. He is more committed to your sanctification, to see you one day look just like him, more than you can possibly imagine. And I know that the spiritual gaps in your life may seem like this impossible gulf to cross. And on your own, it absolutely is. And your only solution is to trust in, to continue to trust in the only one who crossed that impossible gap on your behalf. Because of Christ, sin cannot and will not have the final word over your life. Here's one way I would explain this concept. Let's say you were taking a really challenging math test. What we talked about last week, gift righteousness by faith, would mean that before I ever gave you that really difficult math test, I wrote 100 at the top. So I grade it before I give it to you. 100. You get a perfect score. Now the pressure is off as you take this difficult math test. That's what imputed or gift righteousness means. But what we're talking about today is that God is also committed to help you learn how to do really challenging math. He does not just give you the A and then say, good luck. Rather, he has a never stopping commitment to work in and beside you to help the righteousness of Christ more and more invade your actual life and close that gap. The math analogy gets me because I have three kids who are in school right now, uh, second grade, first grade, and kindergarten. And you see, when I was growing up, we learned math the right way. (laughs) And now my kids bring home math worksheets, and I'm like, what is this? What is this? And I should confess that I'm not always the best homework helper. Like, we have a lot going on in our house, and sometimes I just want to get it done and over with. But those worksheets, man, they will be like, don't do math the right way. Do it the wrong way. And make sure you show your work. So I can't just get by the way I want. So it is a test of my patience to teach my kids how to do every problem correctly, to help them become the kinds of people who know how to do these problems without me being present. It takes a lot of effort and commitment to teach a kid anything, much more if they're easily frustrated, and even more if you have to teach them the wrong way, right? 
That example is for all you teachers out there. <laughs> Don't hate me. Don't hate me. Listen, Sandy. Listen. <laughs> Man, teachers are the most fun group to pick on. They really are. Love you and grateful for you all. The point is, God gives us even more help than a math teacher. He knows we need more than that to exhibit the kind of righteousness we were originally designed for. The kind of radiant, shining glory of God looking at us and going, yes, very good. That's very good. We need more than an instructor to grow into that. If you keep reading in Romans 8, you're going to find out what he gave us to see our righteousness come to fruition over time. So we'll pick back up in verse 8 of chapter 8. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So at the moment of conversion to Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to come and dwell inside of you. So God himself now lives in you. So when you feel powerless against your struggles with sin, when you feel like there's no hope for you to overcome those really difficult things, well, that would be true if you were fighting them alone. That would make sense. But you are not fighting them alone, is what he's saying. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has now come to dwell in you. And if he could defeat death and hell, he can handle your addiction, amen? He can handle your anger issues. He can handle your body image issues. He can handle anything you have going on, no matter how overwhelming it may feel to you. And again, Romans 8 is clear that we play a role in this through setting our minds on the spirit and not the flesh, through walking in the spirit and not the flesh. We are not passive actors in this. But assuming your wholesale reliance on God's spirit through appropriate disciplines and practices to doubt your ability to grow or achieve freedom is to doubt the power of God himself. Paul goes on to say that part of our salvation is that we've been adopted into the family of God and God's spirit helps us start to act like God's kids. Verse 14, for all who were led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God is not just some tip giver from the sky. He doesn't just give you a list of rules and say, good luck down there. He is not even just a very helpful math tutor. Instead, he comes to dwell inside you to ensure that the righteousness of Christ slowly but surely comes to fruition in your life. 
He teaches you that you are now a son or daughter of God, and he helps you learn how to act like it. He has in mind your eventual glorification, where you will walk in the glory of righteousness. And that might not happen until the new heavens and the new earth, but it will definitely happen because he will not let it not happen. So this is what I mean when I say God is more committed to your righteousness than you are. Scripture says this idea elsewhere more succinctly in a, in a single sentence. In Philippians 1.6, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is not in the business of leaving things half finished. He does not leave Christians half glorified. You will be all the way glorified because he will see it through. He will finish what he started in you. So I don't know exactly where you are this morning, but again, I imagine many of us are, are dealing with some spiritual discouragement at least, some frustration that our gaps are still far wider than we would like them to be. I imagine some of us in here are really, really tired of having to confess the same sin over and over and over again. You recently had to go to your spouse and say, I'm sorry, I did it again. You had to go to your life group and say, I did it again. I fell into temptation again. I responded that way again. I chose that unhealthy, destructive behavior again. That word again can be really discouraging again, again, again. It can rob you of your joy. It can make you feel like growth and freedom are not going to be found, at least not for you. I would also imagine that some of you are not even that far. You have the same discouragement and sense of defeat with whatever sin issues you have, but you aren't at the point of confessing them. You're still hiding them. So your spouse doesn't know, at least not the extent of it. Your life group doesn't know because you haven't told them. You talk yourself out of it because you're embarrassed or ashamed, when in reality it would be the best thing for you, and you might have others who look at you and say, me too, me too. So the invitation for you, if that's where you are, is to come out into the light, to listen to the Spirit prompting you to walk out of the darkness. He wants to lead you into freedom. Set your mind on the Spirit, not on the flesh, which wants to hide and cover and pretend. But I want to end our time today by talking to those of you who are fighting, who are repenting, who are confessing and putting your mind on the Spirit. Those of you who might be discouraged or defeated or dejected, tired of saying again, again. Those of you wondering whether you are ever going to more fully be the person your new nature wants to be. If you're ever going to overcome some of your most bothersome struggles, those of you who just don't see a lot of victory in some really important areas. Maybe you're experiencing something that Pete Scazzaro calls the wall. The wall is something he says every Christian will face at some point. It's the place where you just feel stuck in your spiritual journey. 
Your annoying sin patterns are ever-present and hope seems bleak and you wonder if it's worth continuing the fight or if it will ever change. Maybe this leads you to some version of what's been called a dark night of the soul where you go through a season of uh, where everything just feels dull. It becomes a season of doubt or depression or perceived disconnection from God, a time where your sin feels more real to you than God himself. It feels like more of a sure thing than God does. No matter how many church services you attend or how often you read scripture and pray, God just feels noticeably absent through it all. If you're dealing with any of those things, I just want to give you something that I hope will be encouraging for you. When I was growing up, and I had this great group of friends, and I remember one of my first sleepovers was at my friend Adam's house. And they had this like stairway that went upstairs into their attic area with uh, rails at the top of both sides. I'll never forget this. His dad put like all these blankets and pillows all over the place, like where it was just this maze of blankets and pillows everywhere. And when we worked up the courage uh, to venture upstairs, we found out that it was basically a little kid version of a haunted house. Like that's what he had turned it into. It was amazing. So we, through much trepidation, you know, made our way up the stairs. And then he jumped out from behind something and he scared us to death. And then we just wrestled like for hours. And it was just glorious. I'll never forget it. And I, I'll tell you, who knows how many sleepovers I had. I mean, endless amounts. So much fun. And then one day, without realizing what had happened, my last sleepover was behind me. That part of my life was over. I didn't know it was the last one at that time, but it was. We used to have so much fun playing backyard football. In high school, I actually uh, broke my thumb playing in a backyard football game, and I had to wear a cast in my real football games. My coach was not very happy with me. In hindsight, that may have been the last time I played backyard football as a kid. I didn't know it at the time. I have four kids, and one thing kids teach you is that time goes by very quickly. And parenting is full of lasts. It feels like you just started, but today was your last day of kindergarten. Can you believe it? Our youngest just potty trained recently, and there was a last diaper change. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So great. Before that, there was a last bottle. A last time we gave him a cup of milk before bed. There are so many of these events, and I, I can't stop to think about them too long because I'll just start crying and won't be able to finish the sermon. But the thing is, though, a lot of these last things happen, and you don't even know it. Like, there will be a, a time where you look back and say, that was the last time my daughter crawled into my lap to watch a movie. That was it. I didn't know it. That was the last time my son wasn't embarrassed to be seen with his dad. That was the last time we had an unscheduled family dinner before he left for college. That was the last time she crawled. We didn't realize it. Now she's running all over the place. Now I want you to think about the sin struggles that can feel so discouraging. Think of yourself having to go to God again, to your spouse again, 
to your friend again, to your life group again, tired of it, ashamed of it, frustrated by your body of death, as Paul says. What I want you to hear is that there will be a last time you confess that sin. There will be a last time. And you won't know it when it happens. You'll have no idea. It'll just feel like the next time. But then all of a sudden, months or years later, you'll look back and you'll say, wow, that was the last time. That was it. So I want to encourage us to keep going, to keep turning to Christ, keep being receptive to the Spirit's leading in you, because there will be a last time, and you won't know it when it happens. I'm not saying you'll ever be perfect. Well, some things this freedom may not come until the banquet table and the new heavens and the new earth. But what I am saying is that this is the trajectory God himself has laid out for you. He does not have in mind a life of constant defeat for you. That's not his plan. He is the God who raises the dead, who changes hearts and lives in an instant. What power do your sin struggles ultimately have over him? When your sin argues with God, who do you think wins? God is more committed to your righteousness than you are. He started the work and he is determined to bring it to completion. And the end of the story of scripture is one where we, as redeemed sons and daughters of God, are co-ruling and reigning with him over the new heavens and the new earth. There's the wedding feast of the lamb where Christ, the husband, is betrothed to the bride, the church, after she's been purified. And we, at that point, are finally and fully glorified, utterly free of the last tendrils of sin. Every trace of your most despairing sin struggle will be long forgotten. The last confession will be far behind you in the rearview mirror. And we may not be there yet, but we know that day is coming, amen? Not because of anything we've done, but because of the righteousness of Christ we are clothed in and the spirit he gave us to help us learn how to live in a place like that, free of all sin and rebellion, because we have a God who was bound and determined to finish what he started in us, to sanctify us and lead us to a place of eventual glorification where we get to be the kind of bright beings and co-laborers and co-rulers with God that we were designed to be from the very beginning. Our hope of getting to that day, of getting to the last time you confess that sin, doesn't rest in your ability. You're not strong enough. Our hope rests in a God who has promised that he will see it through. He does not leave Christians half-glorified. So if you find in yourself any discouragement, any temptation to despair, I want to ask you to stop looking at your sin and stop looking at your frustration. Instead, I want to invite you to look to the eternal God who keeps his promises, who has said that he will indeed finish what he started in you. Look to the spirit he's given you to bring about such a glorious end to fruition. That is where you will find robust and lasting hope in your war with sin. And you will eventually look back on a certain thing and you will say, wow, that was the last time. 
and you will know that our God does exactly what he says.